This is the Money Seed Podcast, where we discuss all things investing, plain and simple, the way it should be. Please remember, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment advice. Welcome back to the Money Seed Podcast. He's Chris Ferguson. I'm Gabriel Story. Happy New Year. This is our first recording of 2022. Chris, I hope your holiday was as good as mine. Chris, start us off. What do you got for us? Well, Gabe, good to be back in the new year, 2022. January's nice and cold. COVID's blaring everywhere. It's minus a thousand degrees in the north. Uh, <laughs> in the north, but we are here, warm and um, cozy on the podcast. So, let's start off with a quote today. It's a quote by Tony Robbins. I think everyone's fa- um, familiar with Tony Robbins. Well, world-renowned speaker, um, motivational speaker, etc. But his quote, Tony Robbins' quote is, I love quotes, but in the end, knowledge has to be converted into action or it's worthless. And I think that there are a lot of people that read a lot of books about being a better person, investing better, making more of your life. But at the end of the day, you have to do something. Um, there are lots of videos uh, on eating and working out as an example, but if you don't put it into action, it's essentially worthless. So... Today, what we're talking about is cash on cash return. It's a financial term that investors will use to compare how much, how much, how well their cash is working for them. Exactly. Cash on cash return. I like it because it is the simplest way to understand an investment, and it is the simplest way to compare different types of investments. Because basically it's very simple. You treat the investment like a black box. You put cash in, and at some point in the future, you take cash out. And it's that simple. And whatever that black box is, doesn't matter. If it's cryptocurrency, stocks, real estate, you know, whatever you want to invest in, farmland, whatever, it's a black box and you treat it all the same. You put money in, and at some point in the future, you get money back out. And I think all investors, as soon as you start learning about investing, and this was fascinating to me when I started learning about this, is you can spend your time and have someone pay you for your time and do whatever task you want them to do. And some people have higher a higher skill set, so they are paid more than someone who has a lower skill set. If you're if the top of your skill set is say washing dishes, it doesn't it doesn't take long to learn how to wash dishes. No one's going to pay you a lot of money. If your skill set is, say, wiring a house or putting up drywall or putting in tile, all these are skilled trades. That's why you get paid more per hour. But if if you have any money, you can actually, instead of trading your time for money, you can have your money work for you. And this is a great example of using cash on cash of how hard is your cash working for you. And the more... Um, thought you put into and the more skilled you are at making your cash work for you, those returns can get even higher. So today we have, Gabe is fantastic with spreadsheets. He's going to walk us through cash on cash return with three types of investments. One is if you just pick a stock and, and we just, for the sake of this example, picked an average stock with theoretically average returns. And we'll talk about some of the pros and cons of stock investing because we both invest in the stock market. We picked um, a very unleveraged example of just buying a house with $100,000 to pick a number for ease of um, calculations. And then what if instead of pick, buying, say, a house in all cash, you bought 
four houses, put 25% down to see how that works out on cash on cash return. How hard is your money really working with these three investments? That's it. Well said, Chris. Let's dive right in. Let me share my screen. And all right. So I believe you can see my screen right now, but you're right. We just took three different scenarios. One is you have $100,000 and you put it all into a dividend paying stock. You have $100,000 and you put it all into a house by buying it outright. Or you have $100,000 and you buy the same house as you bought before, but you buy four houses like that by mortgaging each one of them. And so let's take a look at what your return might be. So let's say you picked a good stock. Part of that was skill, part of that was luck. And let's say you have a 4% dividend payout rate, which means every single year you're going to get 4% of your investment back as cash. And then you also have appreciation, which means every single year, let's say this stock appreciates by 5%. So that's very easy to estimate on $100,000. You got $4,000 of dividends and you have $5,000 of appreciation. So you have about $9,000 of returns coming back to you, right? If you compare that to the house where you bought a $100,000 home all with cash, then you own the house outright. You got no mortgage payments, right? So you got rental property coming in. Let's assume you got the 1% rule, which means you're collecting 1% of the purchase price in rent every month, but you are only collecting it for 11 months because of vacancy and other reasons. Um, so that's a that's a good conservative estimate. So you got 11 months of rental income. And then of course you have $3,000 of appreciation. Let's say your property appreciates at 3%, which is a good estimate for most homes in most areas. And then of course you have property tax, maintenance, and you have property manager fees, and that's what you have to pay out. At the end of the year, you have about $9,600 left. So you have a 9.6% cash on cash return very comparable to the 9% cash on cash you got with the stock. They're, they're virtually the same in the sense that their estimates and the margin of error is, I mean, for the purposes of this example, let's say they're almost the same. And if you think about it, they're kind of, they should be the same, right? I mean, if one was way better, that's what people would gravitate to, vice versa. So it makes sense to me that both are very similar. So then we look at buying the same property as we did before, but buying it with 20% down. So $20,000 down, $80,000 mortgage, and you got legal fees, you got closing costs. So let's say that costs you $25,000 cash to buy the same property, but you can buy four of them for $100,000. So let's say you buy four of the exact same type of properties and you rent all four of them out. The costs and the expenses are the same as the previous example, except the mortgage payments. So you have about $5,000 of mortgage payments on each property that includes principal and interest. That means at the end of the year, you will have about $4,600 of return on one property, but you got four properties. So the total return across the four properties is 18.4%, or about $18,400, much higher, right? So we were looking at between 9 and 9.6% on the stock and the house outright. But as soon as you mortgage the properties and you can buy more properties, now you're getting an 18% cash on cash return. And so this is the miracle of basically leverage, right? And you're able to increase your returns because you are in effect using the bank's money to grow your wealth. You are leveraging your investment. Now it does carry a lot more risk, but as long as you can manage that risk and you understand that risk, this, I think this explanation shows why real estate makes more millionaires 
than just about any other type of investment out there, right? It's it's the number one way families and individuals become wealthy. It's because it's so easy to leverage. Yes, you can go to the bank and you can buy stocks on margin, but you will never get this type of four to one leverage that you can with with uh, real estate. I think this is a great way of looking at percentages because when I was at a casino once and I saw people just throwing money into random machines. And it's fascinating because occasionally someone will win, but if you just look at it from a pure statistical standpoint, if you play long enough, the house is going to win every single time. And I think if you look at life and you apply those same odds, you can, you can throw darts at a dartboard and try to pick individual stock. And, and sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. But if you look at the course of history, odds are if you're going to make a sizable amount of, or if you're going to generate a sizable amount of wealth, um, whether that's going to be done through real estate, the odds are definitively in your favor. And then you could argue, well, if I have a really high paying job, I don't need to invest. But if you did invest, you would have that much more money compared to if you didn't. Um, and of course there are risks with all these things, but I I'll, I'll run through the risks that just strike me. So at the stock investment, you could argue that maybe the stock goes down, maybe you have a bad drop in the economy, maybe the company goes bankrupt, but then you could argue maybe you should invest in index funds. Um, if you're looking at an individual house, if you just have one house, if say you just have one really bad tenant, then your entire investment goes under. So yes, you're, you're theoretically safer because all of your money is in this house and you don't have any loans on it, but if anything happens to that one investment, you're kind of toast. Of course, you can get property insurance and all these other things, but still everything's tied up into that single property. If you take that that same amount of money, like you have in your example, and you spread it over four properties, well, if one house goes under, of course you have property insurance and all these other insurances that you can buy, but at least it's spread out over four different properties. It's not tied up into just one property. Um and then your returns are higher. So even if you're off by a certain margin, um, you still have a lot of leeway versus if anything goes wrong in those other properties, your margins are, are relatively small compared to the 18.4%. Well said. Yep, exactly. And of course, you do have to understand the risk here. And I think most people do. And that here, if you start, if you start to leverage your investment, then you do have to start paying the mortgage, whether you have a tenant or not. So if you commit yourself to paying the mortgage on four properties and now your tenants lose their job because the factory in town closes unexpectedly and maybe you you lose your job or whatever, it's very easy to put your own personal finances at risk with such a commitment. Whereas if you buy it outright or you buy stock, you don't have to put more money in. Like There's no mortgage payments when you buy a, a house outright. And so you have to understand the risks. And, and I think most people do. Um, it's the reason why I like real estate is because people just naturally have a lot of experience with real estate, or most people do, right? Most people know friends and family who own houses, friends and family who've dealt with the bank and dealt with mortgages and and understand the basics of how that that industry works. You don't really have to learn something from scratch. So it's these probably these three comparisons here are probably the easiest ones to understand. These are the ones that are most familiar, most people are, are just naturally familiar with. Well, I feel like you can you can pick stock, but there are all these things that are going on that you can't really understand. And you can read read financial statements and all these other things as much as you want to, but there's only so much you can really do to fix your investment. But with real estate, you can really develop a skill set where maybe your first couple of investments aren't the best investments, but you learn 
And then over time, your skill set grows in, in picking the right areas and picking the right houses and picking the right property manager. Um, even if you don't have a lot of money, you can put, you can trade your, you can, you can put in your time into it. And if you're good with skill trades or you're willing to learn and then put in the work, you can actually make those rent buy a house under market value, fix it up yourself, and then put it back on the market. So you can push those investments up through a, like attaining skill, whereas you can't really do that with stock. It is what it is. It's going to do what it's going to do. I feel like it's a lot, you have a lot less control over it. I agree completely. Absolutely. There's so many ways that you can hack your real estate investment and you can modify the house. You can turn it into a duplex. You can rent out the basement. I mean, there's a million different ways that you can modify that investment to make it more favorable for you. Whereas, like you said, once you buy a stock, you're stuck with it, right? Even the skills, I would say even the skill set, which I think is a really important skill set, even the skill set of picking who, even if you're not, okay, so assuming you're not going to do all your work yourself, you say you have a full-time job, there is a skill set in picking the skilled trades that will do the renovations on your house and managing those skilled trades. Because if you do nothing else and you can do that, that that is an invaluable skill set that can make the difference between not a great return and a phenomenal return. And that's a very important point to make as well, is that when we talk about an act, an investment being a passive investment or active investment, it's there, there are various shades of, of active versus passive, right? Whereas buying a stock is like the most passive thing you can do. You buy it, you don't have to think about it for the next 10, 20 years, right? Whereas if you want a passive real estate investment, well, you do have to put in quite a bit of your time to like select the property, tour the property, buy the property, and then work with the property manager and then, like I said, work with a property manager to find the tenant and find skilled trades. And if you want to get even more active, well, then you don't need a pro- You can be the property manager and you can spend two, three hours a week answering emails and phone calls and, and calling maintenance technicians and plumbers. I mean, you can make it as active or as passive as you want. And I, th- I think that ability to leverage a skill set is what I find. And I like both. So anyone listening, don't get me wrong. I think both are great vehicles to invest in, but I tend to prefer things that you can, you can learn from and improve over time. And the investment skill set will get better and better. Whereas I don't know how much better you really get at picking stock. Um, unless you just go in with pick an index fund, a low cost index fund and, and go with that. I agree. And I think as what we talked about on, on some previous episodes, I don't think people get better at picking stocks. I think people just get better at controlling their emotions and not panic buying, panic selling. Um, that it's controlling your emotions is what makes you a better stock picker, not necessarily picking the stocks. I 100% agree. Um, I 100% agree. I think, yes, stock investing is a lot of just managing your emotions Whereas real estate investing, it's just a skill set. And the, the time in is directly proportional to how much money you can make. And it's not just how much, like, it's not like a typical job where you put in X amount of work and you get Y amount of money. It's proportional. Because if you learn the skill set to say manage trades or even like pick out tile or pick out drywall or whatever, um, that skill set can then be amplified over multiple properties as you get better over time. Yeah, absolutely.
And and again, I think just for the purposes of, the, of this podcast, like those two examples that you saw there with the property and the stock, these were very simple examples, highly simplified. You know, a proper financial assessment is a little bit more complex, but it did show the essence of of the difference between them and the idea of a cash on cash return being just that, just cash in, cash out. And generally speaking, I, I think if, if we start looking at properties, a cash on cash return of 12 to 15% is usually favorable. Anything above 15% is usually a very good deal. Um, whereas with stocks, I think a lot of people are happy with a nine or 10% return. Some people are even happy with a seven because it's not leveraged, right? It's a very safe seven versus a risky 16, 17 with a leveraged uh, real estate portfolio. But th- those are kind of the numbers that, that people tend to look at. So we picked those numbers for a reason in the example. So this is by no means a scientific survey. Um, however, this, again, so this is not a scientific survey, but I will say, I don't know anyone who retired successfully solely depending on the stock market. I think people have put money in the stock market and they have been able to retire comfortably, but that's because they had really good paying jobs and they just happened to put their money in the stock market and it happened to go up a little bit, but it was by no means their genius stock investing that allowed them to leverage their growth. I do know personally many, many people who have been able to invest in one way or another in real estate and make a lot of money. And a lot of them have quit their full-time jobs to do real estate and actually make a lot more money doing real estate. So that that's why I like it. And then there are a lot of other people who like their full-time job and they like investing because then the passive investment through real estate allows them to work for fun and not have to work, which is a nice place to be. Well said. All right, Chris, I think that pretty much wraps it for the first episode of 2022. I look forward to many more. Likewise, Gabe, this is a fantastic episode. Um, These investment terms are complicated. And I'm going to say that if I were listening to this, I think there are many things we could be critical about, about these these numbers. A lot of people would argue, maybe we shouldn't have chosen $100,000. Why are you using 25% as a down payment? You'd be highly critical of these numbers. But again, these are just examples. And we picked the numbers we did for simplicity. Gabe, thank you so much for the spreadsheet you put together. You're the master of spreadsheets. So thank you so much for the um, wizardry that you showed. Chris, thanks for the kind words. Um, Pleasure as always. All right. Uh, Like, subscribe, and see you next time. Thanks. Thank you.